This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. A real quick update on Artflow. Only two of them did come through, and they're the exact same picture, which is extremely funny for the two <laughs> that they are. Uh, three of mine have come through. I've refused Ooh. to look at mine. I will look at mine uh, later. The, the other four, it's nothing, which I think means that I chose bad words to do. Yeah, me too. Mm. How many choices did you have that involved the word horny? Because I, Just one. Oh, no, never mind. Wow. I did. Hey, all mine came through. I think you might just need to refresh. I took um, a peek. Mine have come through. I very specifically yeah. requested one of those characters be black and they sure ain't, but let's go. Uh, mine, oh, yes. mine is, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah I, I am deeply <laughs> suspecting that we are not going to see a lot of non-white creations on, on this. I'm just uh, disappointed. I had a real, uh, I had a vision for Stanley mm. Tucci covered in milk. <laughs> and that did not come through and now i just have an older stanley tucci which is not what i wanted Let's go over to Pliff now. Uh, Liz, <laughs> Pliff is going extremely fast, circling these birds. It's like a scary roller coaster. Uh, oh. Perfect. <laughs> what, what is he doing? What's his so, next step? So everyone's got this this purple dye on, and the enemy birds have their purple dye on their attack. I, I think, how far away are we from the cargo, right? I feel like you uh, you passed the cargo to get here. Okay. Um, so, you know, it wouldn't take like even a full maneuver for you to get to the cargo now. Okay. We're going <laughs> to... We're going to... Okay. <laughs> Pliff is going to try to get Flea to go back to the cargo. If it is successful, I, here's here's my bargain. It's going to be so hard for Pliff to do this right that only if we get a triumph can Pliff and Flea get there. If we get any successes, only Pliff gets there. <laughs> and he gets I love oh, it. Let's go. I love it. Okay. So 
I am going to say that yeah, you I want you rolling two yellow and one green for this. Two I think the second the, the reason that we're giving you another yellow, this is Pliff's hero moment, I mean, right? I guess. <laughs> um, we we are regaining control of this bird. I think the difficulty on this, I want to be one purple and one red Oof. because I think Flea can sense that Flea is more in control of this situation than Pliff. Okay, I'm excited. <laughs> <laughs> we got a try. Uh-huh. And two successes. Yeah! And, and two, two what? Thre- two successes, wow. two threats, and a try. <laughs> we did it. Hero moment. Hero moment. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah, Pliff is going to regain control of the situation, go over, I think actually get the cargo, but tell me tell me how it unfolds. <laughs> so Pliff gets right up there. All right, Flea. I'm, I, I'm in charge. I'm the human man. You're, and you're a bird. And I'm not a bird, but I, we understand each other. So we need to go and get the cargo, because that's important to Jane and others. So, uh, come on, come on, buddy. Let's go. Oh, oh God, I'm slipping again. <laughs> I brought a thermos of soup just to bolster my spirits, and that's spilling all over me. And that's the threat. (laughs) The idea that okay, okay, I'm trying to remember the circumstances that 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 Pliff was in. He's had the thermos all day. Isn't he yeah. like, dangling off the side of the ship at one point? And got yeah, at several <laughs> points. At several points, Pliff was dangling off the side of the ship. I, okay, yeah, because coming back, that's right, Pliff like, is immediately back from the bachelor party when all of this starts going down. And there was a point where Rowdy R's clearly threw him off of the ship mm-hmm. and he just barely managed to like cling on um, and and stay around, climb the, the side of the ship to, to get up to uh, the the helm with, with everybody else before he and Jane decided that they immediately had to scramble themselves towards the birds <laughs> and, and jump back down the side of the ship. Um, so you have been, you made this soup for yourself this morning and put it in the thermos <laughs> and you haven't had a chance to eat it all day because Pliff gets bird sick. Like he oh, gets, he gets God. sick on bird back. So he wasn't able to eat it during the hours long oh, journey. Soup, It's been so long. It's got to be cold. Now I, he's going to have cold soup on me. I do well, think that they don't have thermoses and spear. They do have soup skins. <laughs> <laughs> oh, like a Soup water skin from yeah, the yeah. Night. yeah yeah <laughs> I, Chunky. I yeah mean, thermos technology isn't that hard to get but yeah i do like that pliff essentially has this tube of cold soup <laughs> Um, I I feel like like thermos technology exists. Pliff doesn't know about it. No, uh, okay. I haven't found a better way to transport my daily soup. So I found this water skin, and it doesn't the the nozzle. It, it's pretty loose, so I always have a quick a little drip of chicken noodle, kind of always going. You have to, he has to tie like he ties like a bandana around the lid to just absorb some of the drippings. Mm. Uh, <laughs> I mean, well, and that, 
I smell like chicken soup all day, but that's fine. <laughs> this would be so much worse if it was still scalding soup that you spilled on yourself, honestly. So, so this is what? fine. Comparatively, this is fine. <laughs> well, I mean, here, here's the thing. Here's the thing. It is that the, the, there's a success. So Pliff is able to reroute and get this cargo, but there's the threat which is, you know, something bad that happens alongside that. And, you know, that is that the soup spills. What's the triumph, though? This is something spectacular that is accompanying this. I know the triumph was also our minimum bar of success for Pliff succeeding. A thing that for the triumph could be that somehow, magically, the soup is still hot. <laughs> soup is still hot and pleasant to drink. But it's still- on me it's- but now it's spilling on you <laughs> uh, no liz uh is is there something that you would like for the triumph uh the triumph i i think i would love for it to just to make this very easy like it, it's easy for us to to get the cargo for flea to like land on it and us to tie it up i i would love if that was the case i think that's cool okay so what it is Flea, you know, does this tight air turnaround, still booming at high speed, moves back toward the cargo and being an albatross. It's got these, I think albatross have webbed little bird feet. It lands on the box of the cargo. There's another a boom of like water that spills out around it because of all the air that has been displaced. And that creates like a very unsteady kind of like rocky perch, which accidentally throws Pliff from Flea's back. Pliff Whoa. is thankfully hooked in. So he loops off of Flea down onto the box of cargo, happenstantially, like immediately next to the ties that he would need to like latch this cargo onto Flea. Delightful. So yeah, that, that's Pliff. We've got Jane. Jane, mm. you are surveying all of this action. There is a lot of chaos amongst the ranks of the enemy birds. The one that is not having trouble right now is the Swift. The mm. Swift is able to deal with these chaotic wind conditions, and you can see that it is barreling after Pliff and will be there in short order. What do you do? Yeah, I would like to position ourselves so we can intercept. So as the Swift is like barreling into the target and getting in, because I assume when they're at like high speeds, being able to turn around objects is not really in the game plan. It's kind of straight lines. Mm -hmm. Um, So seeing, trying to intercept the trajectory of the Swift as the Swift is approaching, Lucas in its resplendent white and gold feathers enters in in line of sight, looking down the barrel of the swift gun. I've lost the handle of this metaphor. It's fine. Um, <laughs> we get like... They, they can't all be references to Seal's great catalog of songs. Indeed. So it's fine. We get like a across the eyes cut in of both <laughs> of both rider and bird. Because, you know, uh, Lucas is also out for blood as we stare at the swift. And uh, she leans in to where the ear of Lucas might be and is whispering, we're going to go for the eyes. Oh, man. Mm. Nasty. Roll this attack. 
the difficulty is one purple and one red mm-hmm. because the swift is is a, a bit of a serious contender. Okay, got it. Pretty good. Uh, we have a success and an advantage. Okay, so Lucas, I think, is a particularly vicious beast. Is Lucas attacking the other bird or the other bird rider? I mean, that feels like a a Liz question. Who knows Lucas more than anybody else in yeah. kind of like bird to bird combat? Is Lucas a attack the bird or an attack the rider kind of person? Oh, Lucas is very catty. Mm. And very jealous. So I think that anyone who is performing better in the air or could potentially be more majestic, he will absolutely go for. So that's the bird. Oh, boy. Okay, that's the bird. Um, Mm -hmm. Then, yeah, this this damage is going to be at the bird itself. I think I I have just Googled peacock feet. Mm -hmm. Um, Oh, okay. And... They've got really nasty talons, actually. Like these are these are some messed up looking little bird feet. So, uh, James, you're googling bird feet. Uh, well, I couldn't find them on. You're looking for bird feet uh, on the internet? No, I searched for peacock feet, and it just showed me the the feet of all NBC stars. But I have to pay to um, see them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so on the I, internet. I, mm. I'm going to say that their base damage is going to be four plus strength and successes. I think Lucas's strength, I'm going to put it at two. So that's five successes brings it up to six. This is a really devastating blow. It is not going to kill this Swift, but it is <laughs> seriously going to mess this Swift's life up. Nathan, I will allow you to do the honors of describing this, though. Oh, yeah. I, I think because Lucas is obviously going to go for the flare, entirely ignoring maybe the safety of the rider on board, does a backflip. And as the as the swift kind of comes in, we get the slow motion of the talons of the feet coming round underneath Ooh. for the backflip and just getting just getting the swift just under the chin. Uh, yeah, upper as, a bird uppercut. Yeah. I mean, for this swift, I did establish it as I'm trying to remember the name of the Galapagos swifts. Oh yes, because it has the red kind of like it's got crest the red underneath, couch. so it's just a target. It's just a target. Lucas knows exactly where the weak spot is. <laughs> it's okay, okay. It's a magnificent frigate bird. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, you go and you tear this pouch, which. That is a devastating blow to this swift. It, it, it might not be a, a lethal strike per se, but like to this bird's pride, mm. to this bird's sense of masculinity. Yeah, I think this bird is going to be in real crisis and peril after this. Like there's a bit of blood as this is torn. I think the other bird screams. And I'm going to say, because like we had kind of set this up, I feel like the bird is so distressed, like it throws the rider from its back. Mm. Like that bird is just out of the fight. This was not in the contract. I did not know that (laughs) I was going to be attacked in such a manner this evening. Goodbye. I quit. (laughs) (laughs) I say good day. Mm. Lucas Uh, just sparkles. We get like big, 
kind of like uh, anime sparkles off of Lucas that they're very proud of themselves. Oh yeah, gleaming bloody anime sparkles. It's just those red sparkles like we can see the malevolence, the <laughs> sheer black heart of Lucas is like in full display right now. See, how's a villain aboard our ship <laughs> and we're entirely okay with this? <laughs> <laughs> It's fine. He'll be the big bad at the end of the campaign. Mm-hmm. We're just we're just setting that up. You keep watching this bird. Let's cut to the enemies. I think should actually go at a certain point, and it's time for the grackle to show off its malevolent energies. Oh. Let's see. What does a very smart bird do? I think read. You're right. This bird opens up a lovely novel and just enjoys that for a bit. I think this bird is going to attack Lucas. In this <laughs> it's not a smart bird, then, is it? Mm-hmm. Uh, um, well, <laughs> no, no, no. Lucas <laughs> is currently reveling in in victory over another bird. Mm. Um, but the thing that Lucas isn't thinking about is defending himself. Mm-hmm. And oh boy, does this bird make an attack. This is two successes and a triumph for this enemy bird. So now I get to turn to our dear friend, the Uhuru death chart. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, Let's see if, oh no. All right, so our first roll is going to be 21. So just to check, you'd make the roll, and if it lands on Jane, Jane dies. No, Jane will lose a hit point. There are some crew members who have extra hit points. Mm. People like Pliff and Jane that have a little bit of audience support behind them that I like to do the voices for or whatnot. They can take a couple hits before they, have they audience go armor. down. Sure, sure, sure. Fan yeah. armor. I like that. Mm-hmm. The opposite of plot yeah. armor. <laughs> Which I will be, I think, I, I think I'm going to allow people to vote to, to heal or give hit points to people at the end of arcs now because I think that would be very fun. Good, good use of that Patreon. However, we did hit 21 who I have pulled up Line Tender. Line Tender is actually an NPC who has had a speaking role on the show before mm. all the way back in the Shank Hill arc oh, of Skyjacks. <laughs> Line Tender was the female NPC who told the story about their cousin who was killed by the Rasalka. Ah. So yeah, this NPC who well, I think at the time wasn't named, but definitely got a name and had that uh, because this person came up on the roll. What I think it is, is in the belly of the Uhuru, now everybody is scrambled to fight. Like Wendell charged into the room first. Travis is there and everybody else is like kind of around. I think the rest of the Uhuru that was scrambling to answer that distress call enters the room. Mm -hmm. And so is Line Tender. We see Line Tender has her hair pulled back into a ponytail. She looks tough and a bit bedraggled. She's someone uh, who I think generally speaking works the lines of the ship as higher up in the canopy. She's got 
gloves and beneath those gloves calloused hands she also has a cutlass and she comes into the room that is like swimming with firelight there are rowdy r's all around who have guns drawn swords drawn ready for a fight line moves in and charges at someone who has a gun leveled at the captain she charges into them and like checks them with her shoulder just as their gun goes off moving the bullet out of the way saving what would be captain oramar's life (laughs) she whirls around just in time to catch a bullet in the chest line tender only having Zero hit points. Hold it. Goes down. What? Line tender is dead. She catches this bullet in the chest. We can see blood spreading out from this wound. And Nathan, I think before she dies, Mm. she makes eye contact with the captain. What is this last moment like between these two? Oh, we get another internal shot of Oromar, the soul that operates the body. And he's been effing and blinding this entire time. The soul of Oromar Vale has not been happy. And I think the kind of like cursing while wrenching the body round to do all this stuff stops for a period of time as we see, I think, the soul of line tender start to emerge from the body. You can see this kind of brilliant blue-white soul that is still attached to a body slowly turn green as it becomes unmoored from the moral coil Mm. and starts to move towards the river. I actually like the idea that souls don't actually enter the the usher of the river until they have been buried or tended to. Mm. Um, So, like, you can see, you know, her detach. You you see death happen in in a way that most people do not because you can perceive the souls of other beings. Mm -hmm. But that was only the first of three rolls of the Uru death chart. (laughs) So let's roll again. Gosh. This one is seven. Seven. Oh, guys, this is a big one. This is a tragedy. Oh, no. Daisy of Daisy and Fuente. Oh, no. Daisy's got at least two points, I think. So we see Daisy. What do we remember about Daisy? Uh, She hosted America's Funniest Home Videos. Daisy and Fuentes have a collective unibrow that is, I think, the only physical detail that I can remember about them. (laughs) It is a unibrow that not only goes across both of their eyebrows, uh, but goes to the head of the other person. And if they stood together, they would be connected to have a single eyebrow. (laughs) Daisy is also like kind of like beefy and strong they move into the room they immediately lock cutlasses with a rowdy r ronda meets their blade and the two move back and forth daisy is a whirling storm of blades in this fight these two are clearly proficient sword fighters or at least really one of them is 
Daisy relies on strength and size, but what Rondell has is both experience and speed. And in a sword fight, sometimes that matters more. So Daisy charges in a big loping swing, and with small steps, subtle movements, Rhonda knocks this blade aside and sticks her point forward, and it finds Daisy's chest. And Daisy is also struck dead. No! What the f- No! Daisy and Fuentes don't have voices. They never had voices. There's no armor to protect them. But- Which- But the- the This gets us in a beautifully dramatic situation as only Daisy of Daisy and Fuentes has died. Which- I think gives us a very beautiful emotional arc coming up for Fuentes. But of course we have one more role. Okay, why is this happening again? Why is this why is this critical damage to the crew? And also, Uh, James, why are you smiling? Why are you (laughs) (laughs) Well, this is a 90, and that means nothing happens. Okay. Uh, But of course, there's still a critical to resolve, isn't there? So Damage is going to be like Lucas, I think, is actually going to get knocked out of the sky with Mm. this. What it is, this isn't really a peck so much as a harassment maneuver, but it seems that the birds on the Uhuru are addicted to doing ridiculous hot dog maneuvers where they fly (laughs) under enemy birds to do attacks. Uh Uh, So... Lucas like did this barrel roll and was briefly flying upside down. So all this grackle really had to do was like bounce off of Lucas and Lucas and Jane hit the water. Jane has hit points. I do think Jane is going to lose a hit point because she Mm. was specifically attacked with a critical that did connect. Jane does lose a hit point, but is not dead. Jane and Lucas are now in the water. This is a river on a river delta. It is a shallow river. However, we do know that these horrible seals are out there. So that's going to be something that we have to deal with. But the grackle makes like this hit and continues on to close the gap and is at the cargo. So Pliff is going to have to be dealing with this grackle and their rider next round. What a brutal, brutal round. Mm. I want to move to Oromar's perspective. Like Oromar is somebody that can really take in a battlefield and understand like the things that are happening around him. Not only did he make eye contact with line tender as she fell, he also is aware that Daisy is is falling on the other side of this combat. Yeah, I think for Oromar, the lighting in the space is different. And we see two sets of like glowing blue light from off stage left and off stage right in kind of almost waves as those souls leave their bodies. Mm. 
oh mm. gosh, like the visual of this is so great because everybody is is lit by like kind of the orange red light of the lantern fire, mm. except for Oromar because we are seeing Oromar not just as a physical body, we are seeing him as a spiritual being. So he has a little bit of like blue green bloom mm-hmm. from the other souls that have recently detached that is lighting that is on him and literally no one else in the room. So it looks freaking eerie. This is just the audience's perspective, mm, but mm. it's something that I definitely wanted to point out. Nathan, what's he going to do? Okay. All right. I was wondering if I might leave this for later, but the stakes have raised, so I think we're going to go and do some magic. So, having previously, uh, he looks down at his bloodied hand with the bones that have emerged from the fingers, and realizes that he didn't do that cognizantly like in the moment of that aggression his body shifted beyond the realm of normal human movement to make his hand a weapon and in that moment of looking at his hand is like i could push that further Mm. so I'm just going to go and hit every single talent that I have in this list. It's it's all good. <laughs> hey, heroes, it's James, your game master, and welcome to the mid-roll. I want to let everyone know that several one-shot programs are up for podcasting awards. OneShot has a slate of shows up for this year's Audioverse Awards. The Audioverse Awards depend on listener votes, so if you'd like to give some recognition to your favorite OneShot shows, I recommend heading over to the Audioverse Awards website at audioverseawards.net and casting your vote for your OneShot favorites. You can also vote for Skyjack's Courier's Call as Best Family Podcast in the 2021 Discover Pods Awards. You'll also be able to support friend of the network, Bill Buds, in their bid to claim the award for best music program. You can get more information at awards.discoverpods.com, and you'll be able to vote to support them through October 15th at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. So now is the best time to head out and vote to support your favorite one-shot shows. Thanks, heroes. Heroes, I certainly hope you're enjoying this week's episode. I forgot how much stuff happens, uh, really just in the first half. But I am having a spectacular time with this arc, and I hope you are as well. I'm in fact feeling so good about this particular arc of Campaign Skyjacks that I want to let y'all in on a little secret. You see, for the last couple of weeks, I have been teasing the fact that there is a new piece of Skyjack's bonus content headed to our Patreon feed. And I am finally ready to divulge some details about what that series actually is. Picking up right after the events of the Courier's Call crossover, we're going to return to Jolly Jack and Margaret in a series I'm calling As Your Blues as they meet up with Jack's second-in-command, Gerace, played by Amy Vorpal. She's lined up a delivery for them that might just get complicated. And that series, all six parts of it, is going to be headed your way very soon. If the editing schedule continues the way I expect it, the first part should come out next week. So if you're not already, I recommend heading over to our Patreon and signing up. 
because it's the only way to get the next part of Margaret's story. Now, before we get back to the show, I want to take a quick moment and thank some of our backers who have signed up already. David Stott, thank you so much. Sophia, thank you. Olivia Toronto, thank you so much. Megan Richards, thank you very much. Lachlan Fleming, thank you. Justin Lowe, thank you very much. Lee Anderson, thank you so much. Will Baker, thank you. Uh, Carmine, and I believe the system had a processing error for your name. I'm assuming it is Carmine de Alessandro. Thank you. Claire Minaglia, thank you so much. Tyler Saunders, thank you very much. Dave Thompson, thank you. Dwayne the Dwayne Dwayne, thank you. Stephen, thank you very much. Michael Miller, thank you. Hannah Monert, thank you so much. Donut Shoes, thank you. Joe White, thank you so much. Gaz and the goblins have made you all milkshakes. Now quickly, take them before it brings the boys. Thank you. And Ben, thank you so much. Thanks again to everyone who supports us on Patreon. Without you, we wouldn't be able to make this incredible program or any of the bonus content that spun off of this incredible program. If you want to join this list of supporters and get access to the aforementioned bonus content, please head over to patreon.com slash one-shot podcast and sign up as a supporter. Signing up at the $5 level or more gets you access to that bonus content. Now then, with all of that out of the way... When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's get back in the sky. This is something that we talked about when we were doing character gen, but we didn't like lock it in specifically. Mm -hmm. One of uh, RML's talents is signature spell. It's basically, there's a lot of words for it, but it's basically when your character casts their signature spell, which I would like to call something along the line of uh, flesh reshape or something like that. Uh, bone crafting. Bone crafting. Bone crafting. Bone crafting. Yes. Crafting. Reduce the difficulty of the check by one. So I would like to, as we normally do, cast a spell. But yeah, he's going to basically reference every anime under the sun, Parasite-esque. Just turn his entire left arm just into a cruel-looking blade. And uh, yeah, in a kind of like, you've harmed my crew. I was just going to make sure that you could all turn yourselves in. You had the moment to surrender, but the time has passed. You are all done. And uh, yeah, yeah, uh, he's gonna. Very cool. Mm. All right. For that, Travis, please spend two strain. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Yo, that's funny. Oh, no, I'm sorry. That's extremely yeah. good. <laughs> okay. All right. Nathan, here is where I am at. I would also, I would love 
I would love for Oromar to draw his sword because like we have seen him fight with a bone hand, but Mm. Oromar is also one of the most accomplished swordsmen Mm. alive right now, Mm. probably. And I I would just love to see him dual wielding a bone sword and a a metal sword and just tear through a bunch of people. And just turn people to ribbons. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I I want you to roll melee for me. Mm whatever your melee is. And I think we're just going to be, you can spend advantages to activate dual wielding Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. as normal, which is just going to make an absurd amount of damage. My melee is two yellows and two greens. Okay. I guess when it says reduce the difficulty of the check, is that this attack or is that? Oh, that's this attack. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I guess that's now one purple rather than two. Mm -hmm. Okay. Sorry, Rowdy Oz, you may be good at fighting, but I am literally built different. (laughs) That was only a disadvantage on the on the purple, so we have four successes and an advantage. Yes. Oh god, that is brutal. I'm so sad that it is not enough that we didn't have the advantages to activate dual wielding, Mm. but like that can happen. Mm. That can happen. Yeah. I I think uh, even though Previously, Oromar's voice was too dry to be able to speak to Travis previously. There is in a kind of like, there is no welling up of emotion. Like we see the orb soul of Oromar get bigger and bigger and bigger. And then outside in actual like physical space, we see Oromar crouching and lean backwards with a massive like roar. Not even a yell, just a roar sword drawn in one hand, the other arm just in a swirl of blood and bone becomes the second sword. (laughs) I need to know, what is the damage on Oromar's sword? Oromar's sword? It's the golden gun. You you get hit, you're done. The the creature hockey, the damage is three. Three. Okay, so that's plus the four of Oromar's brawn, bringing it to seven, mm-hmm. and then the four net successes on top of that, making 11 damage total. Mm. I think you take down four people. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it is almost almost like running from one person to the other. Like, it's single target. So initially it's the people that, you know, uh, killed members of the crew. The mm-hmm. the one Rowdy R member that fired off the shot was kind of like smugly putting the gun back as they're reloading it as they're about to go and fire off another shot. And Oromar is there. And we just get, the screen just goes red and we see the other swords person up against Daisy who whirls round and is like, who else wants? And then the head is just removed. The head just kind of goes flying off sentence Mm. incomplete. Oh, yes. Moving through the room, this roar is shortly followed by screams as some of the feathers start to fall away. And what people see is what Oromar has done to his opponents. Hmm. If there was any morale left for the Rowdy R's, it has quickly dissipated. Oh, that's right. We had the union. Mm. Um, 
And I did declare that somebody who's acting in defense of the people around them would be doing extra damage. So I think Oromar actually gets gets another person of a fifth in there as well, mm. which I think this single attack is reducing the remaining Rowdy R's by half. Mm. Um, this is an absolutely brutal scene. I would like to move over to Johnny. Johnny, what's Travis up to? Well, <laughs> you know, the captain did just kill half of the people that I was trying to kill. But I will say <laughs> that because I did take two strain, the captain Three really strain. couldn't have done it without me. Very much so. <laughs> very, very quite literally. So yes. to, to that, I do say you're welcome. Uh, but I will, I'll just try and shoot someone who's left. <laughs> I think I another fucking bag of feathers. You, by the by, because we're currently like emotionally connected, I think you feel how upset Oromar is at members of the crew going down. Ooh. Oh, I like that. Yeah. And kind of the feeling of like loss is like, this is a difficult emotion for Travis, generally speaking. So yeah, how does this manifest? Like you're you're lashing out and shooting at the same time, I think. I think like the the normally sort of controlled ballet that Travis does while shooting, I think he kind of loses control. So I I would like to add a black to my role. Interesting. I'll allow it. Okay. <laughs> Because, yeah, I think that, like, n- normally I don't think that that kind of anger is generally something Travis would feel, except for under very specific circumstances. But they're, like, not the em- not they're not his emotions that he's feeling. So it's making him behave in, like, a very different way, I think. Mm. Mm-hmm. And it's two successes. Hey! Hell yeah. Still works. <laughs> that is going to be, that's, that's going to be enough to take down two rowdy R's for sure. Okay. So, yeah, I, I want to know what it looks like for Travis to, like, be emotionally affected as he's in a battle. So I think, like, normally he's got that very cool kind of lazy way of fighting. But I, I think that it's more almost like John Wick style, just, like, kind of punching and, and like, shooting and, like, really, like... You know, more like the kind of thing where he would like grab someone, use them as like, you know, shoot them, grab them, use them as like a shield, throw Mm -hmm. them, get the next person, you know, like, like just a, like a rush of like fury almost. Oh, you know, like the, the other thing that we know is like Travis practices a martial art that's very similar to Savat, which is like very heavy on the kicks. Mm. So I do like the idea of Travis, you know, facing off with someone who's got like a sword or something and like literally like kicks a crate into their knee and then shoots them to take them down or uses them as a shield John Wick style while they take out someone else. Like, I, I like it that like Travis, like even being overwhelmed emotionally, he is not like Oromar like roaring or something because emotion has like kind of been a dull roar for Travis mm. for longer than any human can imagine being alive. So yeah, like it's it's just this very like precise and quick and less fluid and loose type of fighting. 
that makes it more brutal somehow. Yeah, I think a lot of the way Travis normally fights is much like everything he does, kind of for show. And mm-hmm. I think that show, it, like, disappears. Mm. And it's more just like, I gotta just fucking tear through these dudes. Yeah, so there are three Rowdy R's remaining. I would love a, a role for, for Wendell leading the rest of the, the charge of the Uhuru crew as they probably run, run clean up on these folks. What are, what's the role? That's going to be a yellow and two green against two purple. With a blue, actually, because right now the Rowdy R's are very low morale. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. A success and advantage. We can re-roll the blue because the blue was a blank before. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is now an, an additional advantage. So it's uh, two, su- sorry, two successes and an advantage in total. Two successes and an advantage. We are going off of Wendell's strength, which is probably a four. And there is the bonus uh, that the union is providing people acting in defense of each other. I think the remaining three people get taken down by Wendell's horrible zombie arm. Ooh, like literally... Delicious. Oh, the thing that happens, Wendell, there is a sword swing, like moving through the air. It kind of embeds in Wendell's arm. He catches it towards the hilt. So a little bit of the blade cuts into his arm, but no blood comes out because this arm is dead. And he moves down, grabs like the hilt of the sword in this person's hand and like twists it, breaking their wrist and like cutting open their belly. Mm. Uh, He then like tosses them to the side at another person. That sends them bowling back. He jumps on top of them grabs them by the face and turns around to the remaining Rowdy R who briefly tries to surrender. But like staring past them over at the other side of the ship, Wendell can see on the ground blood across their chest and stomach. Daisy. Daisy, one of Wendell's longtime friends. Daisy, who Wendell didn't invite to his bachelor party because he didn't have room for both Daisy and Fuentes. And he wouldn't want Daisy to feel awkward to have to turn it down because Fuentes wouldn't also be able to come. Mm. Daisy, who Wendell didn't get to spend those beautiful days with. Wendell tightens his grip on this other person's face. I don't think they're even alive by the time their head is swung into the head of the person who is trying to surrender because their skull was fractured long before then just with the strength of Wendell's fingers. And that last swing of a full human body into another is the end of the Rowdy R's aboard the Uhuru. Let's cut up to Gable. Mm -hmm. Gable, 
You are kind of like surveying what is happening. You have seen Lucas get bounced into the water. Mm-hmm. You also see the silver bullet nearby. You have the Uhuru working on a heavy burn. You know that something is happening in the cargo bay. What do you do? Oh, geez. Oh, geez. Oh, Pete. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. I'm going to trust that between Jonnet and Pliff and Jane, they'll deal with the birds and the cargo. There's only one bird left to deal with. I think that'll be fine. I feel like the silver bullet is going to be fine. I'm going to go save my little boy. I'm going to save my little bird. Oh, yes. What are you going to do? How are you doing it? Uh, <laughs> I think a parent's instinct kind of comes in. Like I see my beautiful baby bird fly into the water and see all these seals. So I'm going to cast a spell at them to get rid of the seals and hopefully get Lucas back in the air. Oh, Oh, Liz. Oh, Liz, please, please roll a divine check. Gosh. <laughs> Why do I keep on closing the app? All right. Uh, I think, how many of, how many seals are you targeting? Like, really? Well, how many seals are there? I Let's say there are two. Okay. And would you say that I could do quick strike for this? Or do I have to be, like, in engaged with someone for quick strike? Hmm. This isn't a precedent that I want to set that okay. we can just cast magic as quick strike, I think. It'd be fun, though. It'd be fun. Uh, <laughs> it'd be fun. Uh, <laughs> this is also kind of useless to everyone else's thing. It's just like, right now, it's just me shooting seals. <laughs> like, it's a side yeah, game. Let's, I, I want it to be average with two black dice or whatever. Two black? They're uh, far away. <laughs> They're far away. <laughs> Too black. And that's it's, that's in lieu of it being three purple. Mm-hmm. Like you could pick what you want. So I I roll mine against just two black dice. It's two purple and two black dice or three purple dice. But rolling your divine magic against two that. purple and two black. Yeah, that feels like <laughs> to shoot seals. black. But black dice have a very like th- there are a lot of blanks on those dice. Okay. Okay. All right. Okay, James, <laughs> punishing me for trying to save my child. <laughs> hmm, really twisting this emotional knife. Huh, <laughs> Let's see All what right. comes out of that particular vending machine. <laughs> oh my God, I got to triumph. Ah. Yes. Well, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. Triumph, three successes and one threat. <laughs> my bar. What this is, Liz Gable feels their eyes flare open across the scant few feathers that they have recollected for their wings. Those open up and you are connected to the universe once more. Mm. What the people around you see is fire. Fire spilling out from over your shoulders and collecting around your head in a halo. I want to point out, this isn't like a little ring above the head halo. This is like one of those Renaissance style, mm. like the back Same. of your profile, like halos. This this intimidating gold fire behind Gable as like 
their eyes, I think, black over. It isn't the berserker rage taking over. This is just an angel seeing the universe. Gable, Liz, please describe the lightning strike that just takes out these goddamn seals. (laughs) Amazing. Is this a moonlit night or is it kind of pitch black? This is a moonlit night. There are a few clouds, but it's not cloud cover. Okay. The lightning, it strikes in a way that is impossible. It strikes from the ground up. Which is like, that's what lightning is. Uh, Technically, though, lightning does strike because when it hits the ground, that's when the the lightning goes up. Um, But anyway, but it seems (laughs) as if it's shooting up from the water. And because of it, it, because it's hitting water, it's electrocuting all the seals around Lucas and Jane. Yeah. Jane and Lucas completely unaffected by this. Mm -hmm. Can there be like a little like a, a flavor, a flavor shot of like a wide where it's like we see the lightning strike up and then like in the background, like we have maybe like one or two seals that are like j- shooting up from the the water and then like just <laughs> cascade <emotion>. down, just <laughs> roasted. <laughs> mm, like Jane had pulled out multiple throwing knives that she stashed in her coat being like, you want some of this? And then this lightning strike goes off. She's like, uh, uh, oh, uh, <laughs> and just entirely thrown off. <laughs> she falls off. She falls over just in complete shock. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And I, oh gosh, what, like, boy, boy, for, I think for your triumph, Liz, the mm-hmm. thing that I'm going to define for this triumph is we can see the electricity, this energy of the lightning gathering in the water, strike out, course through the water, move through these seals, like elevate them above the water. They drop down and we can see the bolt of the energy of the lightning move towards the sky. And we take a look at the sky and the scattered and scant stars that make up the heavens of sphere. We can see them turn and twinkle a little, but the camera shot cuts to like a bird's eye view of the silver bullet and the Uhuru underneath a moonlit night. We can see the moon and the feather weave and whatnot, but then we see the blurring effect, the, the magic eye effect that you normally see when you look at Gable. The effect of seeing something but not being sure that you see it and certainly you can't see it clearly. Whatever heavenly forces were drawn to attention by this powerful spike of divine magic on the firmament of sphere can't perceive what it was because Gable has projected their ineffability through it enough to even fool the servants of the empty throne. Liz, is there anything else that you would like to define for your advantage or Uh, threat? Put Lucas and Jane airborne again. Like the force, like, pump pumps them back into the air. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I think it's not even pump them back into the air. I mean, I, we talked about elevating the seals, but kind of what I like even better is 
water is cursed, water is profane, and this electricity is divine, I think you pushed the water back. Like this is like literally the parting of the Red Seas kind of the water recedes in this lightning. And like Lucas and Jane are able to sort of gently touch down to the, the damp riverbed below. And Lucas has time to just like beat and flap his wings before the water rushes back in to fill that little gap. There we go. I have no idea what that was, but we're still going. <laughs> we're still going. <laughs> and then, and then, and then <laughs> Jane, Jane and Pliff here like a, holy shit! <laughs> <laughs> and Gable just turns back and goes, everything's finished. <laughs> there are no more problems. No more problems. Speaking of problems, we turn to Pliff, no, who is don't. right now. Or no, we actually turn to Jonnet. Let's turn to Jonnet. Because there is one more problem. This grackle is still after Pliff and the cargo. We can see Pliff struggling with a knot. I feel like Pliff is like doing a knot that you use to tie shoelaces because that's about <laughs> what he knows um, uh, to, to secure this cargo and you know, John has the perfect view, like kind of recovering from that seal, trying to jump and bite at him. Like he sees this grackle mm. incoming and he sees that Pliff is not really prepared for this. And Flea, because Flea is like in the middle of being hitched into this cargo, isn't in a position to really defend himself. John, it's up to you. What do you do? Yeah. John, still in hot pursuit. Maybe the holy shit didn't happen because he's still trying to be. But he is like, there is like a well, under the. I think he can do the holy shit. All right, great, great, great. He does the holy shit. And so, but he's still, he's clocking that the figure isn't ready to take off yet. The figure, the figure, it's Pliff. And he's like, on your six, your six, Pliff, your six, Pliff. And then, oh man. So then Jonnet's going to use this as an opportunity to do one bit of like earth magic since the Ooh. since we can see the bottom of the the river and so he's just going to make like a piece of like heavy stone from the from the earth try and just like just knock it up straight and try and hit this greckle from underneath to hopefully mm. take it out trying to determine ha- have you done a spell like this before would we say well yes mm. um in I think it was Bujanith when we were kind of at the dock and it was with Traveler Quan. We had mm-hmm. a sequence where John it was kind of like knocking tiles and like using the earth magic yeah. to like Yeah, I feel I feel, yeah, I was just trying to think of like is the silter sand different? I don't think it yeah. is. I feel like you've mm-hmm. done this spell enough that I would call this an average check. You made okay. like an entire bridge in Nordia to save drowning people. <laughs> There yeah, it is, yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We've 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 had it. He's done it before. I've been I've been trying to humanize Jonnet's magic usage after those moments where I'm like, he's like, <laughs> I don't want this kid to be too godlike. Mm. <laughs> but this feels we like can do whatever. He still has to roll for everything. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Very true. Nothing. I was I was rolling like crazy for a minute in this show, and then like the dice have kind of leveled out. Um, yeah, the whole defeating the Mariner with typhoons was kind of like, oh, okay. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he, well, John, it did burn like 
a major memory to do that. Mm. It's not like that was easy for him. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right, so that's going to be average? Mm-hmm. Okay. Boom, boom, boom. Okay, so two successes. Ooh. Hell nice. yes. Good. Pretty nice. So I I think he sees this. He just kind of like punches at the ground and we see like a like a, a ripple. We see that ripple like hit the ground and then immediately from that like 20 yards forward a like a, a heavy rock that was just revealed when Gable parted the water like just rockets up. As he punches down, we get a small like gleam of light from his eye because he's like trying to like plot out the trajectories and now it rockets up and hopefully strikes that cracker. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like part of what we're seeing is is Jonnet's star watching, like getting more advanced. Mm. It's Jonnet has collected knowledge of his environment like he knew that that rock was there he knows how the riverbed looks because gable parted the water and he used that information to make his spell more robust and exact he used his environment more completely that rock like rockets out which which to shows us he also didn't need to open his eye for mm. that because he understands all of that about his environment. He doesn't need the universe to be shown to him to understand how to make it work right now. This rock comes up out of the water. We can see like I, it, it's I, really there's nothing to compare it to. Maybe like a dolphin jumping out of the water. It's <laughs> just this amazingly forceful object shooting out of the water catching this grackle full in the chest and it's knocked well off course it has to flap and scramble to avoid falling into the water which is more than enough time for Pliff to finish his makeshift hitch and for Flea to take off and pull that cargo back towards the Uhuru and I think at this point I am willing to say the Uhuru has won this fight fully and completely every objective Return once again to the captain's office aboard the skyship Uhuru, where the captain's council and Travis are reading from the mailbag. <laughs> I'm, st- uh, I'm still on the council. I'm just otherwise unemployed. You don't hold the position. You don't well, hold office. We wouldn't yeah. really know what else I, to do. No, I have a spot on the council. I've just not been granted the rank of master. I am the narrator. I shouldn't have to talk to Travis. That's one of the few privileges afforded my position. Um, we uh, we find them now reading letters from the mailbag uh, of different letters that are addressed to the ship. Dear Uhuru, 
I'm a historian adventurer that has been on the trail of an ancient treasure for many years. Recently, my associates and I discovered a clue that led us to believe that the next clue is hidden on a document of historical significance. Unfortunately, some of my associates have decided that stealing the document was the best course of action. Mm. I disagreed and was then betrayed and left for dead. With the help of my last friend, I escaped and tried to warn the authorities, but they mocked and disregarded me. My greatest concern is that my former associate will destroy the document in his search for the clue. Naturally, the only course of action I have left is to steal the document myself. My friend and I would surely fail if we attempted alone, which is why I want to hire your ship to assist with this heist. I cannot pay much up front, but if you help me, you and your crew will be rewarded with a hefty share of the treasure when it is finally discovered. It's signed, Benjamin Nicholas Gates Cage. Interesting. Interesting. Well, your first problem was to go to the fact that you went to the police and expected them to help you with your problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, whether whether it's a civic disagreement, a, a legal issue, or some kind of uh, historically charged treasure hunt, don't talk to fucking cops. <laughs> <laughs> I this brings up an interesting question that I think about whenever I think of about uh, stories of this ilk. Mm-hmm. If a treasure is associated with a nation state in the history of a nation state if the nation state dissolves does it become just a world treasure or does it become uh, uh just hey tre- treasure here <laughs> well, i think that that goes to the question that i had because this person uh, uh is promising that we'll get a cut of the treasure once it's finally like returned mm. but uh the 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 nation state that owns it could just lay claim to it and well, well, you might not well get this is the, 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 you you folks uh you're not as old as me you don't have as much experience well, as I'm, i do i'm old now, enough now <laughs> I, I i no there are certain organizations that you need to know about mm-hmm. uh, uh there are organizations uh like like the white crucible uh they are trying to reclaim a lost and dead parts of this world by going out and finding things of historical significance, unearthing them, and bringing them back for people to look at. And 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 these uh, aff- affiliates of this organization, uh, white people, will go out to different parts of the world, and it doesn't matter if a nation state technically owns those cultural artifacts. The white people will come in and just take it for themselves and bring it back. Okay. Yeah. 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 This sounds incredible. And there's no stopping them. And Mm. they're they're not even going to pretend to be upset about it. Mm. And and they'll make you pay to see it. Mm. Well, also like there's a level of that. It's like okay, then what are you going to do with it? You're going to put it in a in a glass case and a music. Just let it be. Let it. Oh, you're lucky if it. You're lucky if it gets to the glass case. Oftentimes it ends up in museum archive storage underneath in a facility where no one has access to. Spit. You are spitting at me. You're yelling so loud. But I I get you. I'm I'm not saying I'm not saying tone it down. I'm just saying maybe redirect the spit in a different direction. 
appreciate no, that's fervor, though. I mm-hmm. here's a question. If I'm not on the council, do I need to even engage with these letters? Ooh, it, it sounds like point. no matter what, you want to be heard. So maybe you should just engage with the the letters. Well, it depends on how know. enthusiastic you are about reclaiming artifacts from the quote unquote white. Yeah, I'll steal anything from anyone. I don't give a rip. <laughs> no one invited you or required you to be here. You just are. You came in here with a big bowl of Caesar salad and just sat down and started eating. Then no, we no. were doing our job and you just, just started piping on it in. Either. I did make a Caesar <laughs> salad this week and I made the dressing from scratch and the croutons from Ooh, scratch. Wow. It was great. Oh, wow. We made the dressing from scratch. Wow. Travis, I, I really, I, I think the ratio of your Caesar salad is, I, I, I'm going to say it, disturbing. No, there's very little greens. It's very heavy on the anchovy. We love the, no, it's the it's it's all about the croutons, the anchovy, and the sauce. I, I, I see don't even one leaf. You lost me at the sauce, than salad. You call it sauce. It's not sauce. You're not putting Alfredo on your Caesar. Stop it. Ooh, but that does sound good. <laughs> Gable, this might be a regional thing. Do you not call it salad sauce? No, I call it dressing. I call it oil. I have a real question because I have seen stuff called salad cream. Yeah, for that's real. Mm, that's that's a thing. Mm. <laughs> well, you, I think wait, it's for real. I think it's a, it's a, a very specific, disgusting British thing. What is it oh. though? It's basically like salad mayonnaise. It's oh, oh uh, is know. that your ranch? Is that British ranch? Uh, yeah, I, I guess. <gasps> oh God! <laughs> oh, I bet <laughs> the, it's good. N- n- now that you've put a term into my head of British ranch, I, I'm not quite <laughs> sure if I will be able to sleep or exist. Continue existing. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Travis Masago, for introducing the phrase <laughs> British ranch into my vocabulary. Also, you left your bag of croutons uh, unguarded, and now they're mine. <laughs> You're welcome. Wait a minute. No. You those are my croutons. You can't lay claim to my croutons. Travis, I will be stealing you them back. You should not be in this room right now. You That's what I'm saying. Croutons. That's what I'm saying. Oramar smiles oh. at you and now has croutons for teeth. I'm going to rob a museum. <laughs> 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 Oh, that, croutons for teeth. Croutons, croutons for teeth. For teeth. <laughs> you know, George Washington had croutons for teeth. <laughs> well, bit, that's bit just what we tell them. It all shatter. <laughs> I, I, I guess I'm just thinking of like those Looney Tunes cartoons where they all just have like dice for teeth or something. Yeah, <laughs> or piano keys. <laughs> mm, those are funny bits. Campaign Skyjacks is a one-shot network production. For more information, be sure to follow us on Twitter over at CampaignPod for updates about live shows and other events we might be doing. Welcome to Character Creation Cast, a show where we create and discuss characters, the best part of role-playing games, with guests using their favorite systems. I'm one of your hosts, Ryan Bolter. And I'm your other host, Amelia Antrim. Join us as we sit down with game designers, podcasters, and fans of games as we dive into learning about different RPGs through the lens of character creation. It's a combination of character building, player advice, game design insights, and even a little bit of fan fiction for a different game every month. We tackle a variety of new and old games, both well-known and indie-produced titles. We learn how creating characters can tell us a lot about the games themselves. 
Check us out today anywhere you can get podcasts or on the OneShot Podcast Network at OneShotPodcast.com. You can find more great gaming shows over at OneShotPodcast.com. Like Session Zero. Session Zero is a discussion podcast that seeks to explore the psychology of role-playing. Each episode will feature role-playing concepts, stories, and tropes viewed through the lens of psychology by clinical psychologist Porter Green and industrial organizational psychologist Steve Discount. Be sure to join them on the couch for the next session. Jonnet Kessler was played by Tyler Davis, who can be found on Twitter and Instagram at Tyler A. Dave. He also co-stars and consults on Showtime's Work in Progress. Gable was played by Liz Anderson, who can be found on Twitter at Liz Anderson underscore underscore underscore, or on her podcast, Paired. Travis Matigo was played by Johnny O'Mara, who can be found on Twitter at Johnny and Briefs, or on his podcasts, Bill Buds and Dilettante Ball. Captain Oromar Vale was played by Nathan Blades, who can be found on Twitter at Phantom Arts ENT. You can also find them streaming on twitch.tv slash theneoncaster. I am James D'Amato, your host and game master. You can find me on Twitter at OneShotRPG or on my other podcast, OneShot. The original music featured in this podcast was written, composed, and performed by Arnie Parrott. You can find him on Twitter over at A-R-N-E-P-A-R-R-O-T-T. You can find more of his work at atptunes.com. This episode was edited by Casey Tony who can be found on Twitter at Casey Pony or on his podcast, Neo Scum. Our logo was designed by Fiona Shea, who can be found on Twitter at Fiona Pup. The World of Sphere was inspired in part by the music of the Decemberists and Illimat, produced by Together Studios. This show uses a modified version of the Genesis role-playing system, designed by Sam Stewart and a team of talented professionals who were fired by the private equity firm owning Fantasy Flight Games. Strangers who've ever been kind, and once for our friends ne'er to rise. Twice to the dearest we're leaving behind, who know we can never deny the call of the sky.